Good evening, everyone. I want to welcome you for attending today's unveiling and memorial. My name is Jocasta Samaripa. I'm a, a member of the Forest Home Cemetery Board of Directors, and I also serve as uh, alderwoman of the district we're currently in. So welcome to the 8th District on Milwaukee's near south side. It is an honor to be here today as your mistress of ceremonies. I do want to take just a moment to recognize our elected officials who have joined us today. Uh, we're joined by State Senator uh, and Wisconsin Historical Society curator, Lena Taylor. Also, State Representative Dora Drake is here. Uh, onto the county, Register of Deeds Israel Ramon is here. Milwaukee County Sheriff Ernell Lucas is here. Judge Derek Mosley is here. And last but not least, Milwaukee Common Council President Cavalier Chevy Johnson is here. Thank you all for being here, our elected leaders. And I hope I'm, I didn't miss anyone. Thank you. You know, Forest Home Cemetery is the oldest operating cemetery in the city. And since 1850, we have been welcoming people of all faiths and backgrounds. Our history as a people can be told through the lives of those that are buried right here. At its core, Forest Home Cemetery is about remembrance. And that is why we're here today. As an elected official here in Milwaukee, as an out woman of color, I have a sense of the discrimination that people of color face. But even being raised brown in this community, I do not understand, I could not understand the brutality of racism faced by black Americans in the 19th century and earlier in the 20th century, and even now in the 21st century. Migrant farm workers like my grandmother were abused, but not systematically brutalized. This is a uniquely black experience, and it's an experience we must fully understand, accept and examine if we are finally to end the scourge of racism in our lifetimes. Today, we are honoring the memory of George Marshall Clark, a young man who was killed by a lynch mob in brutal fashion after being accused of a crime that he did not commit. At some level, it sounds familiar, right? As we think of Breonna Taylor or Tamir Rice or Dontre Hamilton or even Jacob Blake. But as horrific as each one of these instances were at the hands of authorities, there's something even more terrifying about an entire mob searching you out dragging you from the authorities themselves and setting out to murder. This is hard stuff and hearing about it is not easy. But if we don't tell these stories, if we don't lift up George's name, we risk losing sight of our own history and repeating it in the future. And so we begin tonight with an opening libation and invocation from the Reverend Walter Lanier of Progressive Baptist Church. Pastor Lanier.
Good evening, everybody. I shall be brief uh, because my only task here is to pray the prayer of invocation and evoke the spirit of God in this place. Uh, but equally, if not more importantly, all of those who will follow me are all gifted and brilliant speakers and orators and historians. And so they will do justice uh, to the brief but powerful narrative and story that set it here. The only other thing I will say uh, before invoking the presence of God is that uh, in, as a beginning of the invoking presence of God is God is indeed a God of justice and God does enter in on the side of justice. And it is appropriate that when we look back in this date in the 1860s, when people of color and black people in particular had uh, no rights, so few rights that this could happen that now many years later, uh, we see black and brown folks coming up to this microphone to speak with power and authority about the justice of God and about what can happen through the arc of history. And so indeed, uh, even though we have been battered and bruised, uh, we have not been to be defeated and we have prevailed uh, by the grace of God and by some effort. Let us pray. God, we come before you uh, this evening and we give you thanks and praise for this opportunity uh, to uh, in a sacred, uh, momentous occasion of memory, of uh, remembering a life struck down uh, far too quickly, uh, remembering significant injustice, but also remembering that we continue to press on against injustice and that you are a God that enters in on the side of justice, on the side of those who are oppressed and afflicted. And we are thankful as we see so many gathered here that justice has prevailed and that a marker will go forward to remind us of tragedy and triumph at the same time. So Lord, we invite you to take control and charge of this gathering here together this afternoon, this evening, that we would feel your presence, that you would animate this place and that we would continue to move forward in the spirit of righteousness and justice and community. It's in your name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. That blessing lifts all of our spirits. And, and now I have the great honor of introducing Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley. And uh, if I may, David and I served together as state legislators before we both turned to local government. He's a tremendous advocate for Milwaukee's working people, working families, and I'm so proud to call him my friend. And so please help me welcome County Executive David Crowley. Good evening. Good evening. Oh, I love that. This is a great moment, and thank you so much, Harder Woman Zamaripa. So first and foremost, I want to start off by thanking the uh, America's Black Holocaust Museum, as well as the Forest Home Cemetery for inviting me to speak today, but all, for all the ongoing work that you continue to do throughout this community. It's definitely a privilege, not only for me, but for many of us uh, to be here right now in this moment. So when you think about Milwaukee's Black community, it has a historic history with undeniable influence from political activists to artists to entrepreneurs. Black Milwaukeeans are a huge part of what makes this city a great place. We must also pay tribute to Dr. James Cameron, whose strength and vision led to the creation and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the maintenance of the museum. But we also know struggle. Throughout our history, Milwaukee has been on the front lines of the struggle against racism, plaguing our, na our nation's entire timeline. 
when we became a state, most black Americans were enslaved. When my grandfather was born, most black Americans lived as second class citizens. Even today, as my wife and I raised three children, brutal police violence, racial segregation, disparate health outcomes, they all plague our community. But despite all these odds, we have never lost hope that Milwaukee can be a great place for us all to live, work, as well as raise our families. America's Black Holocaust Museum is itself a testament to the resilience of our community. Through grassroots community efforts and organizing, we have reestablished the Black Holocaust Museum as an institution in our community so that we never forget the harmful legacies of slavery and Jim Crow, especially as we work towards reconciliation and healing. Today's event is a marker of that path. And in the last year, across the country and all over Milwaukee, we have seen a renewed interest in doing this work. In our own city, people of all races have taken to the streets to demand for real change in our communities. But to solve the problems of racial injustice and inequality, we must first and foremost recognize that there is a problem. We have to call that thing what it is. But make no mistake, this problem was not solved a couple years after George Marshall Clark's murder with the Emancipation Proclamation or by the passage of the 14th Amendment or by the civil rights legislation of the 1960s. Racial inequality still affects every man, woman, and child of color in our city today. And I know that firsthand growing up in the 53206 zip code. I know the obstacles put in our way as black Americans from everyday racism to the greater institutions forces designed to stop us from advancing. From discrimination in housing, healthcare, just moving about our everyday lives. Black Americans know all too well what we have, that we have a long way to go. And this is why we have tasked our entire county government to make solving our color divide a key tenet of their work. We continue to work every day in all aspects of our local government to close the divide. Because I've recognized like so many others, many of you are here, that the ongoing legacy of slavery and Jim Crow has made racism a public health crisis in our community. And I believe we must know our past in order for us to move forward, especially towards a brighter future. And that's why I'm extremely grateful that our community has a resource like the Black Holocaust Museum that diligently helps to promote public awareness of the brutal truth of slavery, of Jim Crow, and America's racism. As their mission states, we must remember the past to preserve the future. Only the truth about what happened can set Americans free and make real racial repair and reconciliation a reality. Today, we finally, after 160 years, mark the grave of George Marshall Clark, an innocent victim of his times. He, like Dr. Cameron, who survived an attempt to lynch him, represents all Black Americans. So I want to say thank you to Tyrone Randall, to Dr. Burke, to Forest Home Cemetery, and to all of you for sharing in this extremely important moment. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thank you so much for those powerful words, County Executive Crowley, a reminder that the struggle is far from over. Now, before we continue the rest of the program, let me just take a minute to explain what what's going to happen uh, this evening. We're gonna have continue to hear from a number of wonderful speakers. 
uh, as well as have a musical performance right here in the Victorian Garden. And after we hear from Mr. Reggie Jackson, who will um, be our fourth speaker, we're going to stand up from our seats and make our way to the viewing spot closer to the site. Then after the headstone is revealed, Mr. Tyrone Randall is going to say a few words and Pastor Teresa Howell Smith will say a blessing and we'll each take a flower and process past the grave site, placing our flower upon Mr. George Marshall Clark's grave. After that, the program will have ended and you can make your way back to the main building or to your cars. And don't worry if you didn't catch all that, I'm gonna uh, remind us again later. But our next speaker tonight is a renowned academic, a well-known fighter for justice, a father and a leader. Dr. Robert Smith is the Harry G. John Professor of History at Marquette University, as well as Director of the Center for Urban Research, Teaching and Outreach. He previously served as Associate Vice Chancellor of Global Inclusion and Engagement and Director of the Cultures and Communities Program at UWM. He is deeply engaged with the work of America's Black Holocaust Museum and carries on the legacy of Dr. James Cameron. Dr. Smith. Exceptional words. Thank you so very much for that introduction. Uh, thank you all for being here this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, memory matters. What we choose to remember matters. The effort we put into those memories all matter. Memory shapes our personal and collective consciousness about the past. It also informs us greatly about where we are today, and it helps to sort of project us into some future. Indeed, our memory is significant in all of those phases. The memory also fuels narratives. The stories we tell ourselves over and over about who we are. The stories we tell over and over about who we are as a city. The stories we tell over and over about who we are as a nation is fueled in large part by a set of narratives greatly informed by those memories. On September 6, 1861, an event occurred here that demands our efforts. And today we're here to memorialize the importance and significance of not only that date, but the events and the individuals and the individual involved. We owe it to George Marshall Clark to herald the narrative threads of that event so that the event itself and those important narratives continue to echo into the future. Indeed, we are here to hold ourselves accountable to that history. And this requires us to pose a couple of questions, and there are many. One question in particular is, what does September 6, 1861 teach us about lynchings and racial violence? You heard from our county executive, you'll hear from others. We know indeed that black people were often lynched because they had achieved some economic prosperity. We know that black people were lynched for engaging in politics. We know that black people were lynched for having the audacity to express some version of uncompromising dignity. This event also teaches us something about the attitudes of Irish immigrants in this particular moment in America's, uh, America's history. 
This event teaches us about those racial attitudes that inform the attack on African-Americans here in this area, but in other parts of our country. On April 12th of 1861, we know that the nation had erupted into civil war. We know that that civil war also was uh, a part of this important long-standing set of challenges that was born in the late 19th century. Well, I'm sorry, late 18th century. By 1863, the New York City draft riots in opposition to the Civil War showed us, in many respects, the most violent ur urban uprising as scores of working class Irish immigrants began attacking black people as an expression of opposition to the Civil War. And yet we're also here today uh, and we're obligated today to note that violence is not, only the is not the only thread here. Today we memorialize and honor the legacy of black entrepreneurs and the many narratives that barbers, beauticians, and funeral home owners have contributed to black communities in our nation's history. As I conclude my remarks today, let us also remember the importance of our local history, of our local narratives, and the importance of local people being at the helm of preserving and heralding our stories and fortifying our local memory. To Brother Tyrone Randall Jr., thank you for raising our collective consciousness about this particular story, about this particular event, about this particular individual. The legacy of George Marshall Clark, you have called us here to make sure that we are responsible to that history and to those narratives and to that memory. Thank you very much. much, Dr. Smith. This is truth that must be shared. Our next speaker is Pardeep Singh Kaleka. Pardeep currently serves as Executive Director of the Interfaith Conference of Greater Milwaukee. In the wake of his father's murder, along with five other community members at the Sikh Temple of Wisconsin in Oak Creek, Pardeep has been a powerful voice against hate and violence and a living example of a forgiving soul. We are honored to have him join us today. Ready? Thank you so much, Alderwoman. Greetings and thank you, and thank you for all for being here tonight. We uh, welcome our elected officials, community organizers, and our peace builders. Thank you so much for the work that you are all doing. Uh, we thank everyone who may be watching online, and we offer our deepest reverence to the spirit of the ancestors, and the family of George Marshall Clark. May his legacy always serve as inspiration. My name is Pardeep Sinclica. I am honored to represent the Interfaith Conference of Greater Milwaukee, which serves mainline Protestants, Roman Catholics, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Baha'is, Hindus, Latter-day Saints, Moravians, Pentecostals, Sikhs, Unitarian Universalists, and so many more faith communities. I offer this reflection on behalf of those diverse faith communities in Wisconsin and abroad. I humbly ask us all uh, to close our eyes, um, just as memory matters, imagination as we go forward matters, um, and, and bow our heads to, to this prayer and call for the end of racialized violence. Dear Great Spirit, you are the source of all and we offer this prayer. In your grace, there are so many joys for we cannot fathom your limits. We ask to please bless us 
and protect all those who are gathered and not gathered here today. Please show us your mercy as we remember the life and death of George Marshall Clark and all the lives forever impacted by racialized violence here and abroad. Today, we specifically come together as multiple faiths, races, and cultures to call for justice and healing as we center the lynching of George Clark. Our gathering today is to lift the voices of community and forge a less hateful, hateful world in the memory of those tragic times and days in Milwaukee. However, please see clearly how the black community has felt this sting of this same suffocation for years. It is well understood that our country has its roots in racialized religious and ethnic violence. Our foundational dirt is so soiled and bloodshed that it's a wonder that grass still grows and trees still blossom. But they do, and so do black families. So does black love, and so does black brilliance. But that does not mean that we can ignore black pain nor be absolved of our own responsibility in causing it. Today, let's all be still in our bodies. Let's listen to the wisdom of pain and carve out a future where pain and the black experience are not synonymous. Right now, we are asking you to center our black and brown communities because communal trauma is very real. Whatever the feelings that are arising right now, please feel them. Anger, sadness, grief, joy, life, whatever comes up. Because when we genuinely feel, we can genuinely heal. Let's rethink our own personal, personal responsibility in causing and continuing the same harm. Let's rethink how we've been conditioned to see skin color and worth. Let's be honest in the way that we are betraying our divine mission and directive here on earth to see God in all of God's children and all of God's creation. Please give us the courage to face the current challenges. We know that there are many blessings in the suffering. Please give us the ability to grow our sacred consciousness and unlearn the heinousness of man-made separation. We long to be one with our interconnected spirit. We know that this hate and violence has taken a physical, mental, and spiritual toll on all of us. We pray that everyone here and watching can meet these challenges and create a society where love is the foundational bedrock and the foundational stone. In your divinity, may we see one another with the eyes of reverence, the eyes of respect, and the eyes of worth. We humbly ask your spiritual guidance even though sometimes it can feel spiritually heavy. And when we feel challenged and we feel fatigued, we thank you for putting each and every one of us in the position to support one another. And we will carry this heaviness as a collective as we march forward towards a more just existence for us all. We are grateful for every second, minute, and hour that you gift us. We are thankful for the justice work that is being done by all of the faith leaders here, all of the leaders, all the elected leaders, everyone. We are also grateful for our leaders to have the ability to imagine a new dawn. Please bless them with the strength to take on the numerous challenges that this city and this existence faces. I ask you to soften the hearts of those who yet don't understand what this spiritual undertaking is about. May we continue the work of tilling a new soil with the understanding that racialized bloodshed, bloodshed still remains deep within the bedrock of this country. 
I ask us not to be simply inspired, but be committed. Let us carry this message to our respective tribes and communities and help those who may not yet understand. Finally, let us do this all with the sincerity of spirit, compassion, love, your mercy, and grace. Amen, amin, salam, shalom, vahegru, ashe, and I thank you. strive to live up to your example of showing love and grace. Our program now will turn more intentionally towards the memory of George Marshall Clark. Before we hear from Reggie Jackson about George himself, let's take a few minutes to ready our spirit and our soul. We are joined by Alverno student and professional singer Tracy Sparks, one of Milwaukee's shining talents. Tracy will be singing Strange Fruit and will perform additional pieces at the gravesite as well. Tracy? trees bear strange fruit blood on the leaves and blood at the Thank you so much. Beautiful. Our final speaker tonight will be Mr. Reggie Jackson, 
co-founder and lead trainer for Nurturing Diversity Partners. He will tell us George Marshall Clark's story. Good evening, everybody. It's, um, it's truly an honor to be here uh, among Milwaukee and celebrating the life of a, a young man who died 160 years ago. George Marshall Clark, from all accounts of, of his life, uh, was a young man who was very well liked in the community. His father, George, uh, was a barber. He was apprenticing as a barber himself. This was a, a young man who was in the early years of his adulthood, who probably had great dreams about what he wanted to do with his life. And his life intersected with an interesting time in Milwaukee's history. He was two years old. Uh, he's actually born two years after the first black person voted in an election in the state of Wisconsin. Joe Oliver voted in 1835. And George Marshall Clark was murdered in this infamous lynching five years before the next black person would vote in the state of Wisconsin, Ezekiel Gillespie in 1866. So it's always interesting to me to kind of look at how our lives intersect with the lives of other people. We live in what I call parallel journeys in history. We oftentimes think of history by looking at periods of time and thinking about specific things that happened without understanding that when those events happened, there were a lot of people that were existing in that space at the exact same time that were impacted. Now, can you imagine being a Milwaukee at that time being a city that had celebrated a group of citizens who went into Milwaukee to free a black man who had been wrongly jailed in the Milwaukee County Jail, a story that we all celebrate, a story of abolitionists coming to Milwaukee, breaking into the jail and freeing a black man. Yet, just a few years later, a different group broke into that same jail with completely different intentions. They broke into the jail because of the confluence of events between either four or six individuals. On September 6, George Marshall Clark and a good friend of his, Mr. Shelton, James Shelton, walking down the street. Now, some accounts say that they were accompanied by two white women and they came across two white men in town. And the way the story plays out is that these two white men were not happy to see these two black gentlemen accompanying two white women. And the racial animus that existed in Milwaukee at that time led these men to say some very ugly things to George Marshall Clark and his friend James Shelton, which led to a fight. And this fight unfortunately ended very badly with one of those white men being stabbed and he died the following day. We think of lynchings oftentimes in this country as being precipitated in a lot of the stories that we've heard in our history classes that somehow black men caused their own lynching. They did something that led them to be lynched. And when we think about lynchings, lynchings were extra legal violence. This means that the person did not have the benefit of having our criminal justice system do its job. A mob of people in Milwaukee decided that once George Marshall Clark and James Shelton were incarcerated in the jail, they were going to take the law in their, into their own hands. And the police department did nothing to stop it. 
They did absolutely nothing. They knew that it was going to happen. A mob of 300 people came to the county jail. The sheriff at the jail that night did the right thing and said, I'm not going to let you in this place to take these men out. Because they weren't there to let George Marshall Clark. They were there to let George Marshall Clark and James Shelton, both of them. The sheriff did all he could. He was actually hit in the head and was not unconscious. They broke into the jail. James Shelton was able to find a place to hide in an adjacent cell, which saved his life. George Marshall Clark said, I have no reason to hide. I didn't do anything. I'm not guilty of any crime. I have nothing to fear because I did nothing wrong. The mob didn't care as they were dragging him out, beating him, kicking him. They didn't listen to his words saying, I'm an innocent man. I'm not guilty of this crime. I did not kill this man. It didn't matter. Even as witnesses along the way, as they were dragging him down the street, said, you have the wrong man. That's not the right man. You have the wrong man. They didn't care. They took the law in their own hands and they murdered in a brutal fashion, George Marshall Clark, and left his body hanging for several hours. We don't know who took his body down. We think his family probably came along and cut his body down. But it left a stain on Milwaukee, a stain that we are here today to try to wipe away. This stain has not been in our history books. This isn't in our local history classes here in Milwaukee. Students in Milwaukee don't learn the story of George Marshall Clark's lynching. It's time we start teaching all of them that, beginning today. We want to put a human face on George Marshall Clark because he wasn't a lynching victim. He was a young man who was murdered in a brutal lynching, but he was a human being. And so often we think of lynching victims as just that, as that moment in their life, as if they had never done anything prior to that moment. We forget who they were before that. Let's think of what we're doing for George Marshall Clark tonight, not being a celebration of the fact that we're acknowledging this lynching, but that we're celebrating his life that was ended by that lynching. It's important for all of us to recognize how rare this event is in Milwaukee. We don't do these types of things in Milwaukee. We don't talk about the ugly parts of Milwaukee's history, right? How often do you see organizations that work in silos in Milwaukee, and we talk about Milwaukee being a silo community, how often do you see organizations coming together as Forest Home Cemetery, America's Black Holocaust Museum did, with the help of this just phenomenal young man here who really brought us to this place. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't. I, I want you to stand up, and, and we need to give him a round of applause. for that. And, and the last thing I want to share with you is that I tell people that I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. And we have to understand that that racial animus that led to the fight that George Marshall Clark and James Shelton were a part of, that racial animus that led to that fight and the racial animus that led to the lynching, it's still alive and well today, unfortunately, 160 years later. 
We had a racial reckoning in our country last year, not because of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery, but because of hundreds of innocent blacks that have been murdered by police and vigilantes in this country. It didn't just happen. That reckoning didn't just happen because of those events last summer. It's been building. In fact, it's been building since 1619 when the first Africans arrived in this country in shackles. The racial animus that we pretend has gone away by saying we're in a post-racial America is a myth. Anyone that says we're in a post-racial America needs to pick up a newspaper, get on the internet, and read the daily news, and you'll understand very clearly that we are far from a post-racial America. The fact that we couldn't even talk about George Marshall Carr's lynching in our history classes tells us that we have a long way to go. The last thing I want to share with you all tonight is tonight, take a look around at who's here. Take a look at the diversity of the city of Milwaukee. Take a look at what we should value. We need to value the diversity of our community. We need to embrace the diversity of our community so that we can begin to work on not necessarily racial repair and reconciliation, but conversations that lead to racial repair and reconciliation. Because if we can't even have conversations about these ugly things, open, honest conversations that are productive, that allow us to really get the trauma that's in our bodies out of our bodies by expressing how we really feel, if we can't have those conversations, and we can't have people build empathy for the communities that are marginalized so often, then we'll never get to racial repair and reconciliation. I know that if George Marshall Clark were here today, he would say something along these lines. I'm really sad that things have not changed as much as they should have in the last 160 years. Thank you all so much. Black Holocaust Museum and for bringing George Marshall Clark to life for us.